Uh, our nation uh, is in, has an epidemic. <laughs> uh, the epidemic, I say, that our nation struggles with is the epidemic of greatness. Uh, I think if you look around what's happening in our day, there's always this conversation of who is uh, the greatest. We see it on social media, people trying to draw attention to themselves. We see it on uh, in sports and who talking about who is the greatest athlete. And um, the, the challenge is, is that we, we live in a society where most people seek after greatness, yet without understanding what greatness truly is. I mean, just look at your, at your own heart and maybe look how the things you've said this past week, the things that you've maybe posted online, and then think maybe the things that you've seen people post online or hear the language that others have used and, and see if we are really truly in an, an epidemic of, of greatness. Uh, the challenge of greatness in our society is nothing new. It really kind of rests in the human heart. In Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48, the Lord Jesus was being questioned from his old disciples. It says, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He who is least among you is also the one who is great. Now, I don't think that we have to be uh, um, geniuses to figure this out. There are not many people in our day seeking after being the least among us. Who desires to be the one who is the lowest? And yet time and time again, when we read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, what we see is, is God showing us that what, we, what he values most is the least among us, the, the poor in spirit, the meek. The world values greatness, and yet God values greatness in service to him and in his kingdom. As we see in this passage, we're going to work through this relatively uh, quickly. It's a, it's a long chapter, but I think that it all fits together and helps us understand uh, this picture of greatness and humility. The first point that I want to draw out in, the, in your bulletin is the pride of greatness. The pride of greatness. So if you look with me in Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to walk through this text, so if you would love to follow along with me, the, the Bibles in front of you have... Second um, Kings chapter 5. Uh, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man and with his master in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. So it begins this new character in the scripture we've never seen before. Naaman, he was is, is, is referenced as a great man because he had, he had favor with his master because through this great commander of an army, God gave him victory. Now notice that it wasn't Naaman that got the victory, but it was the Lord who gave Naaman the victory. The Lord is the one who made Naaman great. And as you see this, that I think sometimes Naaman maybe loses sight of that. In chapter, second sentence, it says, He was a mighty man of valor. And we read that, we, we think of a warrior. And if we, we, if we look at our, our, the, the history of our nation, we have praise, mighty men of valor. But, the text says, he was a leper. This mighty man of valor had a deficiency. This deficiency was leprosy. And on that day, leprosy really was, uh, was common, but, and there was also leper colonies. They still exist today. We're not cured of it uh, from, our, from, from the world. Uh, and Naaman was defined by this leprosy. 
You can see it even as, as the text kind of un- unfolds. It doesn't talk about his leprosy, but it talks about how he strove to be great. And he had a hard time dealing with anyone or any situation where he was not looked upon as great. Uh, this leprosy probably created him, had an insecurity uh, in his life, a, a poor sense of value, a, a chip on his, on his shoulder. When we read through the scriptures, we can kind of look through our own experiences and realize that everyone in the Bible has their own issues. And sometimes it helps us realize that we have our own issues too. And naming issues of of leprosy uh, may help you see some of the issues that you have in your own life. What causes you insecurity? What the way that God made you, the way God formed you in your mother's womb, the way the gifts and the strengths and the talents and the weaknesses that he gave you, how has that created insecurities in your own life? Has that created maybe a poor sense of self-worth or, or value? Now, friends, before we even go here, we want to stop and just kind of say this. Rejoice in who God made you to be. Rejoice in all your weaknesses and all your flaws. Because God is the one who made you. God is the one who took care in his, when you were in your mother's womb to make you exactly who you are. So rejoice. Rejoice in the good things that God has given you in your life. As we see that the text goes on, we, we learn of this servant girl in, in verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the sermon of Naaman's wife. As we see this, take note of the way God highlights the, the servants and the low in this chapter. Verse 3, she said to her mistress, Would that my lord were the prophet who is in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. This little girl, even as a slave, was was seeking the good of her her master. And she was seeking the good to to give him to the Lord's man, the man of of God. So Naaman, verse 4, went in and told his lord, the king of Samaria, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents, of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Uh, Naaman was going prepared. Whatever that the, the cost of getting him free of his leprosy, he was going to bring. And he was bringing his, his entourage to show him how powerful of a man that he was. In verse 6, he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you to Naaman my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. That's exactly what the little girl said. If you go to the prophet in Samaria, you will be cured of your leprosy. He brings it to the king of Israel. And this is the king's response. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? But this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking to quarrel with me. The first response was what the king of Israel could do to leprosy. And what could the king of Israel do for leprosy? Nothing. He could do nothing to change leprosy. He tore his, his clothes. It doesn't matter how much riches Naaman is bringing. There is nothing that the king of Israel could do. They are asking something that only God can do. See, the, the pride here of, of the king of Israel is he does not recognize that there is a prophet in Israel. 
that can accomplish this feat. Those of you who remember just a few weeks back in chapter, chapter 3, Elisha's just coming on the scene and, and, and the, the army of Israel and, and Moab and, and Judah are all coming together and they're in a valley and there's no water. And they go to Elisha and what does Elisha do? He sends water through a prayer that saves them from their death. He saw the prophet in Israel work God's uh, providence in his life. Saw salvation happen because of a prayer of a prophet of God. And here, what does he do? He forgets. How are we like this king? So quick to forget the power of God. So quick to, 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 to forget how many times God has shown up for us. God has shown up for us when we were 20 and when we were 30 and when we were 40. And all of a sudden when we're 50, something happens and we question, will God be there? Friend, don't question God's hand. Stayed upon Jehovah. Maybe I would say this. Are you assuming that you can change people's lives? I think some of the greatest stress that we bring upon ourselves is that we think that we can bring change that only God can bring. Friends, only God can change people. Only God, by His sovereign power, through His Spirit, by the preaching of His Word, can He change someone's dead heart and make it alive. That is only God's doing. You cannot bring reconciliation with your children. You cannot heal someone of their disease. You cannot help anybody overcome addiction. That is the mighty hand of God. Let us not put that pressure upon ourselves to do what only God can do. That's exactly the pride we see here in the King of Israel. God has power. And we need to get people to God. It's exactly what we see here in the next verse, in verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Don't you love that? And it's not, I, I don't want you to know, king, that there's a prophet in Israel. I've already done that for you. But I want you to know, I want this, some, this Syrian to know, this Gentile to know that there is a prophet in Israel. What God is doing here, y'all, God is saying he's not just the God of the Jews, but he's the God of all people. I'm going to show this Syrian, this Gentile, that there is one true and living God who made the heavens and the earth. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. You can just see the pomp and circumstances. This is the commander of the, the king of Syria coming with all his horses and chariots. Picture tanks of the commander of North Korean's army rolling up to the, to the, to the White House. You would expect that the president would come out, right? The president would come out and greet the commander of North Korea's army. But instead of sending out that the president doesn't come out, who does he send? His administrative assistant with a note. Read this. This is exactly what Elisha does. Verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. What a sweet word that God gave this man. 
if you just go into the Jordan and wash yourself seven times, your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. The thing that he was most desperate to hear his entire life, your flesh will be restored, you shall be clean. And he can't hear it. His pride is so wounded that he can't hear the blessing of God. Verse 11, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and, and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Come out to me. Aren't the waters in Damascus better than the, the waters in Israel? This pride is just so full of his heart. How dare he? Now we look at Naaman and we're like, oh, of course, we would not be like Naaman. We would be willing to listen and receive all that God has for us. That is until someone cuts us off in traffic. How dare they? Rage welling up. Or when your, your server brings you cold food after an hour. How dare they? Or when your children don't readily obey you. How dare they? Something just wells up inside. Why? It's because at the core of our sinful hearts, we want to be served. And we don't just want to be served. We demand to be served. Now, Naaman shows us that picture. But that is in all of our hearts. And when those moments of rage happen, what we're saying is that we're not trusting that the Lord has put us in the situation, that the Lord has brought these circumstances to bear in our life, to grow us, to, to help us trust in, in Him. See, pride blinds us to hearing God's Word. One of the reasons why we stand before we, we preach the Word is we stand to say, you are a creature and God is speaking to us through His Word. That we want to humble ourselves because the natural state of every human being says, I am in control of my life. I am God. I don't need to listen. We get fed that message all week long. So when we come to church, we need to remind ourselves that we are creatures, that we are servants of the one true God. Second point, the greatness of humility. The greatness of Humility. Look what happens here. Verse 13. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word. The prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? His servants were right there, and they knew that this was a, an issue for their master. You all know that when someone has an issue in their life, everybody else may know it, even if they don't, right? And they all knew, watching Naaman, that leprosy and him holding a chip on his shoulder of being a leper was a huge issue in his life. That's why he brought so much of his resources to bear on this issue. And they said, Master, did he actually say, wash and be clean? And then something clicks with Naaman. And what happens? So he went down 
and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a child. And he was clean. He finally obeyed, but he had to obey, not like a, a, a mighty commander of an army. He had to be, obey like a child. You know, the challenge of most um, people today is they don't want to listen to God's messengers, just like, they, just like Naaman. Naaman did not want to listen to the messenger he wanted, but they wanted to listen to God himself, or the one representing him, God, the man of God, Elisha. The challenge for many today is they are not ready to hear the words of God because they're unwilling to listen to the messengers. And sadly, too many pastors are, are, are preaching messages of their own making and their own opinions and not giving the word of the Lord. In the passage that Pastor Gary read, Matthew 18, we, we see this. Jesus says, who is the greatest in the kingdom of, God, of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him on the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When we humble ourselves like a child, we're basically saying is that we can't do it our own, ourselves, that we need help. We can't save ourselves. We need help. But the Lord's table, which we're about to partake, is, is the antithesis of pride. When we take the bread and take the cup, what we're saying is that we can't save ourselves. That we can't do it alone. And God in His kindness has given us this act, this ritual, to, to taste the, the, the bread in our lips, to feel the, the fruit of the vine go down, to remind ourselves that we need salvation. Salvation has to, has to come to us. We just receive it. That's why we practice the Lord's Supper the way we do. Is as you sit and the Lord's Supper comes to you as, a, as an example of how God has come to you in, in Christ. It's, it's, it's our way of acknowledging that we're sinners, and because of our sin and rebellion against God, we deserve eternal punishment. But God, in His kindness, sent forth His Son to die in our place on the cross. Being dead and buried, God raised Him from the dead to give us hope for all eternity. And every time we take the Lord's Supper, it says that we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This is our act of humility. This is our act of saying that we trust in Christ. The Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. These last two points are going to move quickly. I know you're worried about time. We'll just move quickly to these last two. This third point is the servant of worship. Notice what happens to Naaman when he realizes that only God could bring him uh, uh, his flesh to be restored. Only God did this. And look what happened. He returned to the man of God and with all his company, verse 15, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Now remember, Naaman wanted to give a gift even before things started. That's why he brought all the loot and brought all his, his, his chariots and his horses. He wanted to bring to, to earn his salvation. And Elisha knew that Naaman needed to understand grace. He needed to understand unmerited favor from God. So Elisha accepted nothing in return. 
so that it would be clear to Naaman that his flesh was restored by a kind, gracious act of God. That's why he doesn't take the, the offering. Verse 17, the Naaman said, If not, please let there be given your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when your master goes into the house of Remnant to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Remnant. When I bow myself in the house of Remnant, the Lord pardon your servant in this manner. He said to him, go in peace. Now, Naaman knows that he's now a follower of God. He's now a follower of the one true God. I'm not going to offer any burnt offering except to the Lord. He's the one true God. And yet I live in Syria. And when I go back to Syria and I, I live out my life as the commander of the king's army, I'm going to have to go into the house of Remnant and I'm going to have to, to bow my knee before this, uh, this false god. And he says, when I go there, will you please forgive me? Because I'm only doing it out of duty to my, to my master, my earthly master. But I know that my heavenly master is the Lord. You notice there's, there's a transformation that happened in his life there. You know, one of the joys I have as a pastor is to help people live and to help people die. And I've had the great privilege over the last several months just to help Olin Hollis die well. And as he has gone to be with the Lord, this is what his sons have told me. I'll share this tomorrow, but he says this. He says, listen, I want you to make sure that you tell people about how my dad changed. I want you to tell people how my dad was transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he lived one way during their childhood. He lived kindly, but for himself. And he heard the word of God. He heard, wash and be clean. And his life changed. He was transformed. He said, from now on, I will not serve anyone but the Lord. And for the next 50 years or 30 years, he, he lived as one who was bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. My question is, do you have this kind of faith? Do you have a faith that affects everything? That affects your job, how you treat your family, how you treat your, your, all your relationships, the entertainment that you choose to partake in? Do you have a faith that changes everything? That's transformation. That is the, 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 the servant of worship. I, I, I live my life as a servant to worship my one and true God. Or... Are you like the rest of this passage? Point four, the worship of a servant. The worship of a servant. Second half of verse 19, But when Naaman had gone from a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared his name, this Naaman, the Syrian, is not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say there is just, have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men and the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him to tie up two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from the hand and put them in the house, and he sent them away, and they departed. 
He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Isn't it interesting that when God's people sin, the question is, where have you been? It happened in the garden. Where are you? It happens here. Where are you? Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. Naaman did not serve the one and true God. He served money. Money was his God. But notice that he was, on paper, a servant of the man of God. He was a servant in the house of the Lord. And in his true God was, was money. I wonder here, how many servants do we have like Gehazi? Who you may be in the house, uh, you may be one who identifies yourselves as a follower of the one true God, a, a one who believes in Jesus, but you know that you have another God. That your God is, is not the one and true God, but it's, it's the things of this world. Maybe it's money. Maybe, maybe it's sex or, or reputation or prestige. But it's not the one and true God. Friends, what the scriptures tell us before we even take the Lord's Supper is to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourself. See whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? See, when the Bible says that Jesus Christ is in you, that you have made your decision to follow Jesus, to him to be your Lord and your master, that means your life is now transformed. That you are now living with all that you are for the glory of the Lord. That's exactly what Naaman did. From now on, I'm following the Lord. Gehazi, the one who was, who was maybe raised or who, who knew of the, of the Lord, was choosing to follow the things of this world, seeking after money. We test our faith by our actions. Many of you say that you have faith, but if you don't carry it out in your works, how can you say you have faith? It's the book of James, which we'll look at in the fall. Are you a servant of worship? Or are you a servant of the world? And that really kind of dovetails right into when we come and take the Lord's Supper. You know, when we take the Lord's Supper, I hope that you don't see this as just an add-on. Right? This is just the end of the service and we're kind of adding on to the end because we know we need to celebrate on, on the fifth Sunday. When we talk of the gospel through God's word, what we're doing is that we are, we are preparing ourselves the entire time to come to the table. We are preparing our hearts to remind ourselves of our sin and to remember that only in Christ that we are saved. We are examining ourselves. The, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For everyone, anyone who drinks, eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Friends, that is exactly what Gehazi did, right? He drank judgment upon, he brought judgment upon himself. Why? Because he chose to disobey God's word. To not follow the one and true God. Well, listen, we have already confessed our sins this morning. I know that everyone who walked in this place this morning had sins that you committed this past week. 
Sins of, of commission and sins of omission. And we have confessed our sins to the Lord. We have been reminded that we have been forgiven in Christ. This table is a table for all kind, a certain kind of sinners. It's really open to all sinners, but those sinners have to come a certain way. And that, 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 that sinner has to come through the repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's reminding us that we can't save ourselves. That we all have been like lepers having a disease that we could not cure, but only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, we can be cleansed. So we come to this table reminding ourselves that we have been forgiven. So as we take the the bread and as we take the cup, I, I pray that this will be a time for you to examine your heart, to examine your life and your worship, and confess your sins specifically toward to the Lord. And know that these words are true for you as they were true for Naaman. Wash and be clean. Wash and be clean. That's what Christ has offered us in his life. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's not have this moment be an add-on to our service, but let have this moment be the service, right? As we get to think and reflect upon the gospel of the Lord Christ. So as the, the deacons come to prepare the table, I pray now that you would take a moment to examine your own heart and prepare to take the Lord's table.